Hi everybody, welcome. Welcome to Worship Today. Welcome to Schweitzer. We're really glad you're here. Also, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mom's Day, Grandma's Day. We celebrate you as well. Today we have a gift. If you're new to us today, if this is your first time, we're especially glad to give you a gift. Check in with us. We'll send that gift out to you right away. It's a Starbucks digital gift card. Enjoy some brew on us. Today we're continuing our series called The Myths of Forgiveness. As we're exploring, Pastor Spencer will lead us, we're exploring what forgiveness is and isn't. So important to know what it isn't as we follow Jesus. God has a message for us all today. It's gonna to be an awesome message. Also, we invite you to, if you enjoy these sermons and this experience, we invite you to go to sumc.co slash next. Take a next step, go deeper into the sermon, uh, with others as well. You'll enjoy it, so we invite you, we challenge you to take the next step. Again, we're so glad you're here to worship today. And now, let's check in with Stephanie to see what's going on here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Happy Mother's Day. We are so grateful for all of the women in our lives as mothers, friends, grandparents, leaders. Be sure and say thank you to all of the wonderful women in your life today. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna be celebrating and recognizing graduates here at Schweitzer. If you have a high school or college graduating senior, let us know and send us some photos. Email them to youth at schweitzerumc.org so we can celebrate with you. Every week, more and more people are beginning to join us back on campus. And this means a couple of things. First of all, many groups and classes are moving from meeting virtually to meeting in person again. You can find out when and where classes and groups are meeting by heading on over to our sumc.co slash next page. Also on that same page, you can find the most recent list of volunteer opportunities. Last week, we had 60 kids in our kids' ministry, which is amazing, but also means that we could use volunteers to help with groups, games, and more. And you know the amazing lights, sound, and video production you see during worship? Well, that's thanks to our tech team, who are also looking for some volunteers to serve once a month. You can find out these volunteer opportunities as well as many others by heading on over to that sumc.co slash next page to learn about your next steps. Thanks, Stephanie, for keeping us connected. We appreciate you. We invite you to engage today. There's a chat feature on your screen. Say hi to your friends. We appreciate that. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, we have people to pray with you, so there's a prayer button. Feel free to hit that. And now let's on this uh, Mother's Day, this day that we've come to worship God. Let's celebrate God. Let's enjoy each other. Let's worship. Rejoice because he chose to make his king. 
Hallelujah, Jesus, what? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
As we come to this time of prayer, we thank God for the gift of prayer, for the gift of relationship that we can hear from God and we can also speak with God both silently and with our words. And today we're going to pray together, centered in forgiveness, the theme of this sermon series. And forgiveness we know is so crucial to our life with God and others. We receive God's forgiveness and we give and give and give forgiveness to others. We cultivate it. Today we're going to read a prayer that may be familiar to you. And we will first, I invite you to hear, to really listen to the words as we approach Jesus with humility. And then I invite you to say this prayer with me. The words will be on the screen, but I invite you to first listen to these words. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the way of peace. Come into the brokenness of our lives and our land with your healing love. Help us to be willing to bow before you in true repentance and to bow to one another in real forgiveness. By the fire of your Holy Spirit, melt our hard hearts and consume the pride and prejudice which separates us. Fill us, O Lord, with your perfect love, which casts out fear and bind us together in that unity which you share with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, having heard those words and let those words shape us, I invite us now to say again this prayer. The words are on your screen. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the way of peace. Come into the brokenness of our lives and our land with your healing love. Help us to be willing to bow before you in true repentance and to bow to one another in real forgiveness. By the fire of your Holy Spirit, melt our hard hearts and consume the pride and prejudice which separate us. Fill us, O Lord, with your perfect love, which casts out our fear and bind us together in that unity which you share with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I invite us to say together a prayer that shapes us so deeply that the Lord has given us long ago. I invite us to pray with boldness and confidence the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What a privilege it is to give back to God out of all that God gives to us. As we come to this time of offering, we give thanks to God for God's generosity, care, providing God gives and gives and gives. And our response and faith and trust and obedience as we give back our 
our tithes, our offering, our gifts. Your giving really matters. It makes a huge difference in this uh, on this campus, in this community, and really around the world. And speaking of this community, just a few blocks away is Pittman Elementary School. And we've had a partnership there for about 12 years, 12 or so. And we're really excited about what this week, Servants from Schweitzer provided. So it's your gifts plus these servants, power of the Holy Spirit. We served and hosted Teacher Appreciation Week at Pittman School. We provided gifts one day, another day food through breakfast and lunch, another day ice cream. And most of all, the teachers know who are on frontline ministry, know they are loved and cared for. So again, your giving really matters as we bless the community and they bless us in return. So again, thank you. And we can continue to give through sumc.co slash give. Thanks for doing that. And now Jen is going to continue to lead us in worship.
Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. This is going to be part two of our series called Myths of Forgiveness. We are spending the month of May talking about exactly that, forgiveness. Because forgiveness, let's be honest, is, is part and parcel. I mean, it's central to the, to the life of a Christian and the, and the way of following Jesus. And yet forgiveness is, is not something that just happens. You don't just like stumble into becoming a, a forgiving kind of person or you don't, you don't like accidentally live a life of forgiveness. No, no, forgiveness is something you have to cultivate and, and tend to. And so we're spending the month of May diving deep into forgiveness, five Sundays, uh, looking at um, this, this, these myths, uh, misconceptions of what we have of forgiveness, some ways that, that we um, sometimes stay stuck because we think forgiveness is one thing when really it's something else. And so today, as we as we walk through this, we're going to look at our second myth. And this myth in particular is, is really maybe one of the biggest points we're going to have in this whole series. And it is one of the biggest myths that really will hold so many people stuck because they think forgiveness is one thing and it's really something else. And because they get confused on this, sometimes they won't live into the forgiveness that uh, that they can find freedom in. And so we're going to walk through this. Now, now today, let me start. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking back to an old time when um, I used to serve a, a different church that was going through a season of change, a big season of change in that in that church. And we were uh, really working on some big things uh, for, for that season. And, and we had consultants come in. We were, we were working on new new uh, missions and, and missions and ministries and strategies, and all those kinds of things. And we had this series of town hall meetings, like church meetings, where um, everyone could come and ask whatever questions they want to and say whatever they want to, open open kind of forum for people to say whatever they wanted to about some of the changes that were taking place. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes churches, they don't like change. And so we were working through this and there's this one in particular uh, individual in this church who who did not like me, like at all. In fact, one Sunday he had told me, he said, you know what, Methodist pastors move around a lot. I'm just waiting you out. And I'm like by the door shaking hands. And I'm like, what do you say to that? I, cool, I'll see you next Sunday. I didn't know what to say to that kind of thing. And so he was there and, and, and about halfway through this, this church meeting, he, he raised his hand and there's about a hundred people and he, he starts to say some things he was upset about, which was all, all me. And he just started to say kind of thing after thing after thing of things he didn't like about me. So I don't know if you, you know, if you find yourself bored some Saturday afternoon, what you should do is gather a whole bunch of people that you care about and just have one of them start saying mean things about you. It's a real lift to your self-esteem. And so this man, he starts to say some things. And at first, you know, it's kind of strange. You're listening to it. But then he kind of picks up steam as he goes. And the room, you can feel it gets really uncomfortable. And I know it's uncomfortable for people because I start to notice that like eyes are starting to turn towards me. And not like 
real obvious kind of thing, but like just kind of the corner of their eyes, you can tell they're kind of starting to look at like, what is Spencer doing as he's saying all these kinds of things. And I know that 200 eyeballs are looking at me during this time. So I got to keep a straight face, but inside I was boiling. And I went home after that meeting and I was so angry and I, I stayed angry for, for days. And I just, I kept thinking to myself this question because I, I knew I had to forgive him. I knew I had to, because that's the way of Jesus. I knew I had to go down that road. I didn't want to, I was mad. I didn't want to do this. I mean, he, I, I, I was mad at him. He, he wasn't showing any sort of contrition or remorse. He wasn't coming to apologize for the way that he handled conflict, which conflict is fine. Conflict happens in church, but there's ways to handle it. And, and an all church meeting with a hundred people is not the time for you to list your grievances. And I was mad at him for how he did it. And, and I was thinking to myself, this, this question just kept reverberating in my brain of like, well, if I forgive him, am I just rewarding his bad behavior? Am, am, I just, am I just condoning what it is that he did? And this is one of those myths where we start to think about forgiveness and we're thinking to ourselves, well, to forgive somebody for what they did is, is really just to reward their bad behavior. It's just to condone what it is that they did, the harm that they caused. And so today, as we go through this, I, I, we're going to wrestle with this question of, is this what forgiveness is, just when we reward bad behavior? And as we, we do this, we're going to look at two passages in the Bible that are about a harmful situation. And the, the, it's kind of like a before and after. We're going to start with a word of forgiveness, and then we're going to go back in time and see why it is that this word of forgiveness was spoken. But I want us to see, like, how does forgiveness work in the midst of, of these times when there's, when there's harm and there's, there's, there's damage that's done? So let's start. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians to start. And we're going to start with this word of forgiveness. This is after the offense has already taken place. But I want you to hear what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about forgiveness. So here's what he says. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if, if uh, you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone I, you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now, when you read the Bible, especially places like 2 Corinthians, one of the things you always have to remember is that this was a real letter that was written by a real person to real people in a real city, in a real place, in real time, with real struggles and real things on their mind. And so Paul writes about forgiveness here and this person who's grieved them. This is not a theoretical kind of thing. Like he's writing about somebody specific. In fact, people who, who study this kind of thing believe that, that the church in Corinth was probably no more than 50 people. It was a small church. And if you've ever been part of a small church or if you ever lived in a small town or maybe you were part of a small church in a small town, you know that when there's a group of 50 people that are connected to one another, everyone knows everyone else's business. And so when Paul writes this about forgiveness and this grief that's been caused, Everyone who would have been reading this and heard this would have known exactly what he was talking about, who he was talking about, because this is a tight-knit community. Everyone would have known. So, so for us, we read this, and, and again, we need to kind of like, well, what was it that caused all this problem, all this harm that's needed to be forgiven for? And so you, you know this by going back in time. So we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians, 
And uh, in 1 Corinthians, if you know anything about this letter, 1 Corinthians is just basically problem after problem after problem after problem after problem. That's that's the whole letter. And in, in the middle of the letter, there's um, one specific problem that Paul lifts up that most people think that is the reason why he writes about forgiveness in uh, the second Corinthians, the second letter. And so here's what he says. Here's the problem. This is a terrible situation. And I just want to give you fair, fair warning before I read this, that this is a um, very strange problem and also grown up. So here's, here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's the problem that necessitates the forgiveness. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. You're like, how open-minded we are. Look at this. We're so proud of ourselves. Instead, he's like, no, 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 no. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Now, let's skip down to verse six. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? And if you're reading from your Bibles, you should underline that line. A little yeast works leavens the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral, immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers and, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world but now I'm writing you that, uh, that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Now, as we read through this, uh, this is a very strange, very strange problem. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And honestly, we don't know what that means. Is it his mom? Is it his stepmom? We don't know. All we know is that there is this harmful thing that's being done in this church. And, and as you read through these lines, there's, there's kind of two things we should really lift up, two points that I think are really helpful and kind of as an aside to this whole discussion, but also helpful things to lift up. And the first thing is this. As you read through here, you'll notice that Paul draws a really clear line between what happens in the church, in the Christian community, and what happens outside the Christian community. And this is so important to remember because sometimes Christians get lost on this point, but as the Christian community, we have always held different standards and different expectations than we have on the wider culture. And we don't take our cues from the wider culture. We take our cues from what the Lord teaches us. And so as we read through this, we have to understand there's always been a distinction between what happens in the Christian community and, and what happens in wider culture. And the second thing we read through here is really, really, really important, really, really important note is as you read through here, you see a really clear reason for why Christians have always made a big deal about sexual immorality. And the really big deal was, was right there, a little yeast works through a whole batch of dough. This affects all of us. Now, I've, I've read verses like this in church before, and I've had people, multiple people, not like one or two, I've had multiple people push back at me and say, Spencer, we shouldn't read verses like this in church because... What happens in you know a bedroom isn't really affect anybody else. It doesn't it doesn't impact anybody else. And so like why why make a big deal about this? But but the truth of the scripture is that those kinds of things work through the whole batch of dough. It affects all of us. 
And this is kind of hard for us to understand in our very individualized culture that we live in where, where we put autonomy before almost everything else. But, but the reality is that these behaviors and these actions do infiltrate and do spread throughout the whole Christian community. This is why Paul talks about this. Is, this is harmful for them, especially if you think about this in terms of a little church like Corinth. 50 people who would have known everyone's business. This little weird affair would not have just been between this man and his father's wife. This would have been impacting lots and lots of people around them. This is harmful for the whole community. So I, I, I lift this up to you because here this is this example, this before and after of, of harm that's done and the forgiveness that comes. And as you read through this, you, you see that while this harm is, is offered and it, it, is, it is definitely something that Paul condemns, the Bible condemns, little yeast works with the whole batch of dough, this is going to impact everybody. And yet at the same time, there's this word of forgiveness that's offered, which raises the question, of course, right? If we are forgiving this harm that's been done in, in this church, does, does that just mean that we're condoning it? Are we just sweeping it under the rug or rewarding this man for the, for the harm that he calls, caused his community? And of course, it's one thing to, to ask that question about, you know, a biblical text that happened 2,000 years ago to people we don't know. It's another thing entirely to start to ask that question about things that happened to us personally. When we forgive others, are we just rewarding their bad behavior? It's another thing entirely for me to ask that question, for instance, when it comes to this man who said these mean things about me in public, or, or when we think about maybe our own lives, or we think about our parents who, who mistreated us, or we think about siblings we haven't talked to, or we think about friends who betrayed us, or maybe an ex-spouse who harmed us, or we think about an old boss who, who, who took advantage of us. Like There's all kinds of ways that we start to ask ourselves this question of like, well, if I just re- forgive them, am I just rewarding their behavior, just rewarding what it is that they have done? Am I just condoning what it is that they this is the myth that, that, that some of us push back on and some of us stay stuck because we begin to think that's what forgiveness is. That forgiveness means that I'm accepting, I'm affirming, I'm condoning what it is um, that's been done. Now, one of the ways that I think it's helpful to think about this is if I think about forgiveness through, through two different lenses. You see, sometimes when I think about forgiveness, I think about forgiveness through the lens of my hurt. I think about the lens of what happened, what was said or wasn't said, or what someone did or didn't do, and, and the hurt, the offense that that caused me. And when I, when I think about forgiveness through the lens of my, my hurt, I don't want to offer forgiveness. Instead, I want that person to be remorseful. I want that person to, to feel sorry and to understand the damage that that has caused. I, I, I want that person to, to get the heaviness of it, and I'm, and I'm going to be the person who teaches it to them. That, that's what's going to happen. If I look through forgiveness through the lens of my hurt, I'm not going to forgive. I'm instead going to, I'm going to push them to be remorseful and, and to be held accountable for what it is that they did. But that's not the only option because I can also look at forgiveness through the lens of the gospel. And if I look at the forgiveness through the lens of the gospel, I see this totally differently. And so today what I want to do is, is do a little exercise with you. And I want to look at forgiveness through the lens of the gospel. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to Ephesians chapter two, which, which is, 10 verses, it's the, the shortest probably summary of the gospel message that we have in the Bible. It's very clear and direct about what the gospel message means. As we work through these verses about the gospel, I, I want to apply those then to the, the lens of forgiveness. And so here's what Ephesians 2 teaches us about the gospel. We start off like this, verse 1. It says, as for you, I'm going to read that again. As for you, as for you, as for you. Who is this about? It's about you. It's about me. 
It's not about them. It's not about people who've hurt us. It's about me. So the first thing we got to do is we're going to look at forgiveness through the lens of the gospel is we got to take an assessment of ourselves here. We got to look inside and understand who we really are. So the starts off here, verse one, as for you, as for, not for them, but as for me, Paul says, you, you, you personally, you were dead. Listen to these words, dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. One more time, who's this about? It's about you, it's about me, it's about all of us. All of us have lived um, for ourselves and followed the ways of this world and all of us were dead in our transgressions and sins. Not just them, but it's just about me. This is true about me. I was not just a little bit lost before I knew Christ. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. Verse three keeps going. All of us also lived among them at one time. Who's that? All of us. You, me, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, just living for ourselves and following its desires and thoughts. And then I listen to this next sentence. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I learned that verse from another translation of the Bible that said we were by nature objects of wrath. Like this is not mincing words here. This is, this is the, the truth of the gospel that we see that, that we were not just like a little bit lost before we knew Christ. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We, we were, we were hopeless without Christ. We were like really gone without Christ. Like this is the, the truth of the gospel. And like we really, really, really stood in need of receiving God's mercy and forgiveness. We, we weren't just like almost there. God didn't look at us and be like, man, they're so close. They're like a pretty good person. And with just like a little bit of more morality, they might be a really good person. No, 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 no. Like we were dead in our transgressions and sins without hope, without uh, life. Like we were, we were gone. We were hopeless. We were hopeless. And this is true for all of us. It's true for me. And it's true for you. It's, it's true for all of us. All of us were dead in our transgressions and sins. And this is something that we have to learn to take personally, to, to internalize this, to, to realize that this is true, not just about them out there, it's true about me, that I was in this place. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I was following the cravings of the flesh. I was by nature an object or deserving of God's wrath. In another place in the Bible, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. The chief of sinners, like a title he took upon himself. And it's not because... He was like the worst person who ever lived, but because he understood this truth that without Christ, I was hopeless. I was lost. I had nothing. I was dead in my transgressions and sin. I was the chief of sinners. This is how he understood himself. Like he understood that what he just, what we read here in Ephesians 2 was about true for him. Or I think about that, that line we, re, we sing in that, in that song from church where it's like the most hopeful, positive song in church that we sing sometimes it makes us feel good because it's so positive about God's grace and mercy and love in our life. And the first line, the first stanza goes, um, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved, a, what's the word? A wretch, a wretch like me that saved a wretch like me. Do you know what it means to be a wretch? Well, it means this, that we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. Like this is what's true for us. This is what's true for us. But of course, this isn't the end of the story. The gospel is good news. And the good news keeps going that while we were really, 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 really in need of God's grace and mercy, that's exactly what he did for us. So verse four, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. 
even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, you, you, you personally, this is about you, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, that word grace means gift. It is by his gift that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You didn't do this for yourself. No, 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 it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, Ephesians 2 has a really simple, really simple point. You are really, really, really lost without Christ. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But God is really, really, really merciful. And he has given to us everything we don't deserve. He has given to us grace and mercy and forgiveness over and over and over again in our life. And he just continues to pour this out into our life. He continues to give this to us even when we don't deserve it. Like the reality is that we are, I am the chief of sinners. And yet at the same time, he has given himself to us over and over and over again. And not once does he ever look at us and be like, you know, if I forgive him this time, I don't think he's going to learn his lesson. Or if I forgive him this time, am I just sweeping this under the rug or just condoning this behavior? Am I just, am I just rewarding the bad behavior that's there? Like, like not one time is that how God treats us. Instead, how God treats us over and over and over again is that he gives himself for us. This is the good news of the gospel that while we were really, really, really lost, he really, really, really loves us. And he has given himself for us over and over and over again. So I can look at forgiveness through the lens of my hurt and I'm gonna to try to get even. I'm, I'm gonna to try to make you feel the pain that I have. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope and, and work so that you feel remorse and contrition for what it is you've done. Or I can look at forgiveness through the lens of the gospel and I can realize that what God has given to me is all of this grace and mercy that I don't deserve, this forgiveness that I don't deserve, and I can share this with others. You see, it's not my job to pass judgment. It's not my job to make you feel remorseful. It's not my job to make someone contrite. No, 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 no. My job is simply to offer the forgiveness that I myself have received. This is the lens of the gospel. I think about Andy Stanley says, this is a great line, I wanna read this to you. He says this, in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one um, from one undeserving soul to another. How great is that? It's just a gift from one undeserving soul to another. This is the lens of the gospel, that I don't deserve what it is that God has given to me. And when I share this with others, I'm also sharing what they don't deserve as well. Forgiveness is not something that you've earned. It's not something that you deserve. It's not something that you've, 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 you've earned the right to, but simply something that God has offered to us because he loves you so much. And because while you really, really, really didn't deserve it, he still really, really, really gave it to you because he loves you this much. And this is now what we offer to the world. This is what we offer to others, we offer to those who have hurt us. You see this question, if I forgive someone, am I just rewarding their bad behavior? Am I just condoning them? That's the wrong question. Because that question assumes that we deserve to be forgiven. But really, as we look at this through the lens of the gospel, what we offer is what we've received. And we didn't deserve to be forgiven, and yet this is what God has given to us. And as we have received this great mercy and grace of forgiveness, 
May we share this with others. Let's pray together. And so Father, today we give you thanks. If we think about this gospel message that we see in Ephesians 2, of how we do not deserve to, to experience your grace and mercy and forgiveness, and yet this is exactly what you have offered to us. For anyone who's with us today who, who doesn't know this forgiveness personally, may today be a day where they just receive this from you. Simple prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner and I stand in need of your forgiveness. Would you forgive me through Christ? A simple prayer of opening our life to you. And for all of us, Lord, we stand in need of, of your forgiveness continually over and over and over again. And in the same way that you have treated us, may we treat those who have harmed us. And for some of us, there are some very specific people who are on our minds, very specific situations that have caused harm in our life. And we're wondering if I forgive them, am I just rewarding bad behavior? But, but Lord, in you, we see that we receive what we don't deserve. And that forgiveness is this way of freedom where we can give to others what you have given to us. And so as we receive from you, may we share this with the world. And we thank you that in you, there is mercy and grace unending because you love us so much. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray together. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for a great day of worship. And a special thanks to Stephanie for keeping us connected, KJ and Jen for leading us in worship, Spencer for the message today. Thanks so much. And if you know somebody who could benefit from this message, could uh, benefit and, and be encouraged, about forgiveness, what a life of forgiveness can do for us and for others. Share this, share on social media. Again, so glad to be with you. Have a great week and again, happy Mother's Day.